that is brilliant, and there's so much going on in that story. I could do a whole podcast episode on just X-Men alone. Is that something you'd like to see? Let us know. Yeah, let us know. We'll do one. <laughs> you don't even have to twist our arm. We will yeah. do it. Just say, just like, you know, you know what? One person. (laughs) One guy. If if this gets at least one like, it's like, guys, guys, tell someone to go do it. Tell someone to go do it now. Yeah, I'll go click it myself. I don't care. Just a reminder, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a brief history of the animation series that is with Marvel. Similar to what we've done before in the past with DCs, uh, we figured we should might as well do it with Marvel as well, especially with the new uh, X-Men 97 coming out um, in March. I think late March is when it's supposed to be coming out, assuming that the date doesn't change again for the fourth time. I am I think. so excited. I have been waiting since 97 for this mm-hmm. to come out. Oh, and that's legit. And from what I understand, it's going to take over like almost right after graduation day, the last episode of 97. Really? Maybe. Or they're going to rehash something. Haven't totally figured out. But X-Men in the 90s, along with Spider-Man in the 90s, is a big game changer. And we'll go over that in just a bit. But before we get started, a couple of guests with me who are going to help me explore this uh, topic. And we'll just introduce each other. Uh, Once again, I am your host, Leo the Geek Scorpio. And over here to my right is... Hi, my name is Dean Dane. I am a Twitch streamer, guy, nerd person you've probably heard me before if you've listened to us if you haven't welcome i'm dean dane it looks like diane i don't know what i'm saying you can find me on twitch and tiktok and the internet and over by his right is going to be our el penguin go buddy hi i am ben the el penguin i am a nerd slash personal trainer slash weeb hmm Yes. Company. Mm, thank you. Thank you. That That's fair. All right. Now, before we get started, let's take a quick trip over to the Magical Merch Booth. Yay! Woo! Here we are at the Magical Merch Booth. Now, unlike our normal Magical Merch Booth, there's, uh, over here we have El Penguin showing off his latest of, dre- of clothing. Why don't you explain a little bit about that? Why, thank you, uh, Leo. So these wonderful Weebtastic shorts are brought to you uh, by a collab I did with Fandomaniacs. And what Fandomaniacs is, is that they're a clothing merch store that uh, recently actually reached out to me and wanted me to try out and model out some some shorts of theirs. So I've actually had... um, Actually, I've had experience in multiple sports before, and if I can definitely say one thing about this, I've actually tried it out in multiple workouts, took it to wrestling practice, and these things actually hold up pretty fantastically. Does it wick moisture? Hmm? Does it wick moisture? Wick moisture? Yeah, does it, like, get rid of moisture? Yeah, like, keep the moisture Distribute out. it, keep you cool? Mm-hmm. Oh, honest, honestly, yeah. I actually, I now that you mentioned, I've never actually noticed my legs getting sweaty at all, so I guess... 
Jeez, it's gotta be good if I can't, if I don't even notice it when it's doing its job on that. Oh, no, but not yeah. not to mention that uh, besides being absolutely stylish and having a awesome hidden thigh pocket. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, but they were actually uh, I ended up taking out to rest to some of our wrestling practices as well. So definitely, uh, definitely know they're very durable, no matter what you end up going through. High durability, fashionably weeb, and it just works out for you. I think that's an amazing series and combinations. And I'll be making some leaks over to El Penguin's uh, uh, gym page, so that way you guys can check it out and take a look at some of the fashion that he is rocking at this time. What was their name? Fandomaniacs. And thanks to Fandomaniacs for sponsoring El Penguin. It was a collab. Oh, Thank you, Phantomaniacs, for collabing with El Penguin. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Phantomaniacs, for uh, for collabing with me. And now we've uh, branched out and collabed with Gaming Theaters Presents. Oh, uh, the the world of collaborations. Maybe to come, you know. Mm-hmm. More collabs in the future. But that being said, let's go ahead and get back to the show. All right, so here we are going to explore a brief history of Marvel's cartoons. Like I said before, we did this with DC. Now, the reason why we wanted to start with DC is because they had a lot of very revolutionary animation from before and even currently. Um, That being said, though, Marvel isn't exactly, as far as all the comic companies that are out there, Marvel hasn't exactly schlepped on this. However, they have a different bit of a history for it. So let's begin back at some of the earliest of their animations. See. One of the big things with Marvel, at least early on, is that Marvel itself doesn't really come into the national consciousness until the 60s. Marvel as a company existed beforehand as a different company name, but they were entirely for with comics. It's not until about the 60s uh, that they actually start branching out with, uh, with different themes and I guess you would say a more darker storyline. Realistically, Marvel used to have this um, rule, this thing where it's basically superheroes, but also right outside their door. It's the reason why Spider-Man and several Marvel characters are in New York City, because the Marvel headquarters is also in New York City at the time for that. Okay, so that's sort of their issue. Now, um, at some point in the 60s, they get uh, approached by different smaller animation studios to... Reach to see about doing cartoons just as a spinoff or to build up uh, their their repertoire for it. Not unheard of for like for different comic book characters to move on to being animated and such. Marvel just happened to step into it, but not until the sixties. Here's where Marvel gets a little different from DC. In DC's case, they had Max Fleischer who did the Fleischer cartoons, which are revolutionary and high end and high, well done animation for it. Marvel doesn't get that kind of option. So their first big foray into animation in the 60s is a thing called, uh, is a set of uh, comic shorts called the Marvel Superheroes. And I mean comic shorts. It's less of an animated series and more of an animatic series. So is it kind of like, I know a lot of the times uh, in some like Japanese media, you'll get a four coma, which is like a four panel comic that will then eventually be adapted into an anime. Um, and sometimes they do like full on animations, but other times they just do sort of like basically subtle animations that are rehashing or, or retelling the, the four panel comic. So is this more like a, a four panel comic retelling type deal? It's more like a four panel comic retelling, but um, 
So calling it animation would be a strong a stretch in this Generous. case. <laughs> Generous. So in animation, that's typically because it's something that's drawn and they have a fluidic motion to it. The motion is what makes an animation. It's the motion part of the animation word, I guess. Sure. Um, however, for this, it was more of they started with Captain America retelling his origin story. And here's the picture of Captain America. And that's it. They couldn't even bother putting it in the background panel for those characters. And then we move on to the next scene on it. It's the closest thing we have to something is almost shunned in all of animation. Because, good lord, it's uh, terrible. Called Vox. Where you would have a almost like a picture of the character. And just somebody's lips on the side just doing the dialogue for it. Oh. It is oh my God. weird. And it is. Uh, terrible and I I hate it, that. Uh, now the thing is because it's more of this comic anthology thing they would put it in with this with as a short for a saturday morning cartoon so they managed to get a lot of episodes out because they're not very long um now uh at some point they even get a chance uh to do because in the 60s their big one marvel's first big you know foray in the 60s was the fantastic four it's changed how they redid uh, uh, comics and dynamics, you know, what Stan Lee did the first time and made a family dynamic and they wanted to put it in, into in animation and it was kind of all right <laughs> as far as it goes. Nothing really came out of that. But then they get the chance to do Spider-Man and Spider-Man for 60 Spider-Man, you will have seen it now because that thing is so memeable. Oh my God. You can't see it, but I'm pointing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also pointing. But if you're pointing at me, and I'm pointing at Leo, and Leo's pointing at you... Yeah, everyone's pointing at each other. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> oh, man. That is glorious. Also, unlike the other uh, series that are out there, this actually goes on for multiple seasons. It's a three-season-long long series. And that's for Spider-Man, specifically. So, Spider-Man's a hit with the kids. For those who in the know of economics out of and uh, at least uh, some research that has been done for different uh, superheroes, the most bankable superhero is Spider-Man. Bar none, he makes hundreds and hundreds of millions on his IP alone. Well, well I mean, that's probably why uh, Sony and Disney essentially had to have a custody battle over Spider-Man. Mm hmm. Another thing with that one that was interesting is, like, um, if you're wondering how big or how important Spider-Man is, Marvel had in the 90s a, a book that was, uh, I think it is the big book encyclopedia, a uh, big book about Marvel and Marvel characters, and it's broken up into seven or eight sections in it. There is an entire, uh, so you have uh, anti-heroes, like a section that's dedicated to anti-heroes, so like Hulk, um, Punisher, Daredevil. And, and the like, but you also have a section that's about spies and intrigue, which are and vigilantes, which are things like, you know, um, Nick Fury, Black Widow. And then there's one whole section for just Spider-Man. No one else. Spider-Man gets his own stuff. Even the uh, X-Men have an X section for X-Men, not Spider-Man. One guy. We have to get this whole thing because that's how big and important he is to the series. Spider-Man's uh, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. And what uh what we're gonna learn throughout this whole podcast is uh not only was Spider Man the first one that was successful Marvel shows, but by golly, it keeps that streak alive for a very very long time. Oh yeah, very very long time. So sixty Spider Man, they did some interesting things with that, but mostly it's Marvel uh, animation with a better budget. 
but the problem is the animation's budget is there, but not in the budget that they need to. So Spider-Man, realistically speaking, out of the Marvel characters, even compared to like Captain America, is difficult to animate. His costume has several things of webbing, and you have to animate all that webbing, and that takes a lot of time for it. Even if you go back and look at any of 60 Spider-Man, you'll just see it kind of looks like a red shirt most of the time, because it's they're, whatever they can do to save the budget, they can. However, they managed to take, uh, at least in this case, they took villains from and monsters from different parts of uh, of the actual uh, uh, Spider-Man mythos and put them in there. And so Green Goblin's in there, uh, Electro, Rhino, and, Fer- uh, and various other sc- uh, characters. But Spider-Man is legendary, and he would be hit this time and time again. So the 60s kind of wrap up. Now we bump into an interesting case. So... In the 60s, there's two, uh, between Marvel and DC, and yes, I'm going to make this comparison because it's important for it. By the end of the 60s, DC gets picked up in a parent company through Warner Brothers. But Warner Brothers is a series of studios that have made several on several films, and now they have their own animation. So that's one of the big reasons why Warner Brothers uh, uh, keeps making Batman cartoons and does different uh, superhero cartoons almost every other every single decade with several different cartoons that come out because Warner Brothers is already making cartoons. They already have the ability to do that. So they don't our Marvel doesn't even have a Marvel animation studio. It's just Marvel on that. So with that, this is why we bump it go from the 60s to the 70s and why the 70s is that's it. There's there's not many cartoons in the 70s for, uh, for Marvel. And it wasn't that Marvel wasn't popular. It's just that they just didn't have anything. I believe from my research, there was Spider-Woman and that comes out in 1979 to the 80s. So it's technically more of an 80s cartoon. I will not stand. For this Fred and Barney meet the thing 1979 erasure. <laughs> Fred Flintstone and Barney Rebel met the thing, Geek Scorpio, and that needs to be said. It needs to be said, uh, but I don't think that they uh, actually did much. They met the thing. What more do you want from them? <laughs> They're 13 episodes. Please, uh, please. It was a different time. Yeah. Crossovers were just happening. For God's sake, Scooby-Doo met everybody. They did not actually, te- just as a note uh, for those listening at home, before you at me, they did not actually cross over with one another. Uh, no. They were only featured, if I remember correctly, in like the the, the title. They're a, they're a title feature. So, mm-hmm. And in the 70s, that happened a lot. Instead of making one cartoon, you would combine four uh, three shorts together and combine them together. And that's your cartoon. <laughs> so Barney, uh, Fred and Barney meet the thing. It's the thing episodes. And then on the latter half, you will have the other episodes. Like in the 90s, there was a show called Eek the Cat. And it used to be called Eek the Cat and the Th- Terrible Thunder Lizards. Those are two completely different shows. They're just played in the same half hour. Didn't even meet the thing. But I guess having the having your show called Fred and Barney are nearby the thing at some point <laughs> doesn't have exactly the same ring to it. I don't even know if that would be true, right? Like <laughs> Fred and Barney were people who existed in the in the you know dinosaur era. Yeah. Also, the thing is a Marvel superhero. <laughs> also, the thing is a Marvel. Not very superhero. catchy. Not very yeah, catchy. No. No. Uh, then the more you think about it, the longer this title goes. 
So it's fair to say, as far as animation goes, we get to skip the 70s, <laughs> which just, is just a, It just a needed while. to be said. Fred and Barney met the thing, but they didn't... They didn't but they didn't actually meet the thing on that. Yeah. Also, there was a Fantastic Four attempted cartoon yet again, and it didn't exactly work out on that one. This may not be a popular opinion. Mm-hmm. And I worry about saying things like this. But I don't get the Fantastic Four. <laughs> I have a very hard time with Marvel's repeated and continued attempts over and over and over again, both in comics, in animation, and in movies, to be like, no, guys, the Fantastic Four are cool. We promise. You just need to see them like this. And every time I do, I'm like, yeah, but like that's still not great. Because, like, they're a, they're a mid-group at best. Like, they're a family. That's kind of novel, I guess. They, but like they, I, they, got, they got that found family dynamic, but doesn't every Marvel group does have that, though? I don't even know if they're... I mean, in some cases, they're li- literal family. Yeah. Not, yeah. Even, not even found family, but, like, I just... It, it, it's, like, literal family and their and their friend, The Thing. Well, they found... Yeah, yeah. Fantastic Four meet The Thing. <laughs> I don't Fantastic know, Four, Fantastic Four, finally adopt a thing. I know, I know that that's an aside and a bit beyond the scope of this podcast, but I just mm-hmm. I felt it needed to be said. I don't understand why Marvel is so like we gotta do the Fantastic Four. Like, do do you though? It's like, do they even live up to the Fantastic level? I mean, they're strange. They're pretty neat. The Fantastic Four is one of the, the comics, as far as the comic characters and things that they go with it. Um. I always enjoyed them on the basis that they're a good opening act, basically. Mm, true. So, like, if you're uh, you want to deal with cosmic, uh, with with the things in Marvel that are super cosmic, it's kind of hard to. Uh, but you know, Mister Fantastic can easily build a spaceship to go and deal with the cosmic problem. Like, one of their big villains is Galactus. <laughs> yeah, that's true. However, they come home and they deal with the reality, and then all of a sudden they have to deal with big uh, spies and intrigue. But then they can d- deal with it. You can basically have the gambit of everything that they can deal with if they want to. Johnny Storm, his best friend, happens to be uh, Spider-Man. If you want Spider-Man in, sure, why not? Yeah, I feel like they, they do well when they're paired with people, right? Mm-hmm. With, with others. But by I themselves? Just, I just have a hard time. Like Doctor Doom's a super cool villain. Fantastic Four, kind of a mid-superhero group. That's That's my... That's my one. Like I'm calling, I'm calling the Fantastic Four out. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Now. So, audience, you're here to hear, here to hear, folks. If Dean Dan could rename Fantastic Four, they'd be the DRI Four. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> I think I would name it to the Thing meets the Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. And now I'm intrigued. The Thing is not something that I that I the Thing can go toe to toe with the Hulk. You know, that's a that's like, the best but beat. Can he though? Uh, yeah. No, no, he can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, now, now think about it. My my money is a hundred percent on the, on any version of the Hulk. Yeah, pretty over much over any version of the thing. Now, Dude, his rocky cheeks would get clapped so fast. And I'll tell you what, listeners, if you know of a time where the thing has a legitimately good reason for beating the Hulk, put it in the comments. Let us know, and I'll I'll, I'll look at him. I'll I'll, I'll reexamine my my bias. <laughs> It's like we, yeah. we we understand that like the thing being the Hulk would be more of a situational kind of thing. Yeah, it's like you know he he caught him off guard or something, or just like oh halfway to Bruce Banner a smack. Well now he knocked out halfway. So like 
That was like half Hulk. So does that count though? <laughs> but well, back to that, animation. As with every superhero, it depends on who's writing them. Anyway. Yeah, it depends on who's writing them. Like, what is it? Something that, and I think at some point I will do an episode about power creep. It's not just a video game problem and such. Cause like, depending on who writes them, Spider-Man can either barely have problems to, to uh, lift a car or can go toe to toe with the Hulk. He stopped a train once. I watched yeah. that. But the one thing that is of note of the one of the uh, Fantastic Four, and I was trying to remember this, the Fantastic Four in the 70s cartoon, for one reason or another, they had an issue with having the Human Torch on there. So they just did it without the Human Torch. He's like the best part of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> no, you get your Reed Richards, Susan Storm, Ben Grimm, and Herbie, a robot that Reed Richards built. Not the talking dune bug. Or, oh, not sorry, the, v, the VW bug. No, not the VW bug. I was confusing Herbie and Speed Buggy, if I'm being yeah. honest. <laughs> if I'm going to call myself out, that's on me. <laughs> yeah, no. The humanoid experiment roto, uh, robot B-type. Or Herbie, for short. Or Herbie, for short. Oh, wow. B-type integrated electronics. That, um, I forgot the last letters. So I guess I, I called him a herb. Like, just sort of <laughs> herb. There. A herb, yeah, and it that one was a weird one. They it was for a because of a pilot for a movie of Human Torch. Also for comic history buffs, the he uh, the Human Torch isn't even the only guy with the with the name the Human Torch. Really, there used to be an android named uh, Human Torch back in the in the thirties and forties, and then uh, Mar uh, that Marvel made comics made at the time. And since Marvel had the rights to the name, they're like, eh, we'll put it on Johnny Storm. Which, again, he's a guy who's on fire and he's basically a human torch. The name kind of spells it all. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's the second person to ever be titled the human torch. Which, luckily, since both things are owned by Marvel, it doesn't become a big deal with that. Did they not include the human torch because he was on fire? Were they no. worried about the optics of that? Actually, no. It has to deal with a weird contract thing. So in the 70s, um, even though Marvel doesn't do much with animation, they actually did uh, experiment a ton with live action. So there was a Doctor Strange movie that uh, was supposed <laughs> to be a pilot. It's uh, wild. And it's a weird one. Um, they had a 70s uh, Spider-Man uh, live action, which was a live action movie pilot type thing. I watched it as a kid. I was entertained, but as a kid, uh, it had the word Spider-Man. I was in for a while. Yeah. It's kind of like Batman for DC, right? Yeah. <laughs> like for a while, if it's got Batman in the title, I'll watch it. I I'm in. <laughs> uh, but like, um, because there's this live action version of it. And then there's also the Japanese Sp uh, Spider-Man that was being made at the same time. From Toei. From Toei. Yeah. And so. Uh, they were licensing stuff to for these live action things, and specifically, they licensed a live action thing with the Human Torch, but they didn't. But because of that, they couldn't have him in the cartoon. Interesting. And it's sometimes you bump into weird shenanigans like this, where you bump into that. What? What? Uh, like due to, and we've talked about this before. Due to a weird television right, old school rights thing. In order to have bat, you can't have a live action Batman on television because technically the rights to that are still held by Fox, which is why in the CW Arrowverse, Batman is non-existent in that series. And why Oliver Queen, who is typically a bit more jovial and a bit more ridiculous, is mm -hmm. so much more serious, so much more Batman-like, right? Mm -hmm. To make up for that fact. 
They wanted to do a Batman show. Uh-huh. They they wanted they talk about Batman all over the place in the CW in the Arrowverse, but they can't have him on there. All these legal technicalities. Mm-hmm. Weird stuff that happens. All right, so we leave the 70s because there's not much here for it as far as animation. So when we leave the 70s, we enter into the 80s. Now, in the 80s, we bump into two weird things. Now, we start seeing Marvel actually, at this point, starting to develop an animation studios for themselves and start doing stuff for it to work on their own stuff. Um, normally, they partner up or they're called that uh, as a Marvel Comics Group. Because it's uh, a subsidiary. At some point, when uh, if you're wondering why this becomes important later, towards the end of the of uh, the, there'll be certain marketing things that become weird. Like one of the reasons why we have a video game crash in the '80s is because every company hopped on that bandwagon so so bad. One of the legendary stories: Perina Dog Chow, that food company that makes Perina dog food, once had a video game department and made an Atari video game. For Perina Dog Chow. Pepsi Man. And it's... Pepsi Man's in the 90s. I mean, true, but still. But still, um, the thing is that they would literally make a video game uh, game department and say, hey, make us a game. Okay, and it's crud. And I'll get to that later when we end up talking about the... When we get to the console wars. That's our way down the line for that one. Just, just, just a whole era of everyone cashing in on... Yeah. We should all have video games. So Marvel decides to get get into making their own, uh, making Marvel productions. So here's where we end up having them working on, on cartoons. It's not very, it's not the, their big thing for that one, but you know, might as well if rather than have everybody else work it. So they end up with two big cartoons on there. The first one is Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which is the goat. It is amazing. It's not great, but it's not awesome. great, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's got that weird nostalgia. Awesome. But it's also not great, but if you can hang your, if you just uh, buy into this, you are in, and it's amazing. Yeah, what was it? Uh, is it Firestar it's and Iceman from the X-Men? Firestar and Iceman from the X-Men and Spider-Man. Oh, well, yeah, because it's Spider-Man and his amazing, his amazing friends. friends. By the way, on, oh, yeah. who has <laughs> top billing on this one? You yeah. know who's in charge. Spider-Man does. And unlike the thing of old, unlike Fred and Barney meets the thing, mm-hmm. Spider-Man does have amazing friends, I assure you, and they are awesome. Mm-hmm. And just like before with our first Spider-Man cartoon, this also lasts for three seasons because Spider-Man's the goat. True. Now, also with that, I thought it was funny. It's just quite corny, but it is amazingly fun. My first thing I had to deal with is, because Spider-Man, one of his key things with, as Peter Parker is, he's broke all the time. Not true when he has amazing friends to back him up. True. Like, he has a large, like, computer lab it, that's a secret lab inside his his dorm room. Have you seen the X-Men Mansion? Like, yeah. I understand it's a school, but, like, also, they got money, right? They Ice got Man's- money. Iceman's funding this. Yeah. They're a little loaded, <laughs> I guess. Oh yeah, no, no, they got them. They got their ma- that X Men money right there. Look, the X Men actually have bought a SR seventy one Blackbird. Those are not cheap. No. And they're like, man, we need to have a uh, a place to put this. I know, we'll put it underneath the man uh, the the tennis court. Yeah, where would you keep yours? Yeah. Uh-huh. I should say, where, where do you keep yours? We're, <laughs> we're, we're wealthy venture capitalists here. Yeah, I keep mine in the garage like a normal person. Oh, weird. Yeah, mine's it's in next tree. to my Ferrari. Weird enough, but yeah. I keep mine in a tree. 
so what Spider-Man lacks in his own personal finance, he gains in really rich friends. Yeah, you know, yep. the true friends were the rich people we met along the way. Mm-hmm. Oh man, and it's like, please help me. I'm poor. It's like, well, you heard him. Ice man, did you bring another orphan here? <laughs> Just bring me one more of them orphans, please. So he only has an aunt left. Who knows what the writers will put down next? <laughs> oh, there's like at some point where they have to, uh, where Aunt May comes by, and he's like, "I can't let everybody know that Aunt May is coming by because she's a, because she'll discover my secret as Spider Man." All right, just my thought was, just don't hit that switch that changes their room into a secret lab. I think you'll be okay. <laughs> you have like. Dexter's lab inside your house. You, all you have to do is just make sure nobody goes through that front door. I'm just saying, it keeps it all kosher. Now, I will say, in Dexter's defense, his sister is on on mad. Oh yeah, she's a very curious gal and like able to crack high case security. Like, if, if Spider Man had a sister, he might be in trouble, but he doesn't, yeah. so I think he'd be fine. I think you're right. I think you're mm. right. he's uh, he's confident that Aunt May isn't going to go. Ooh, what does this lever do? Mm hmm. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now, Spider-Man's Amazing is super fun. Now, also with that, they have an Incredible Hulk cartoon. Now, if you're wondering why, out of all the Marvel characters, we are having an Incredible Hulk cartoon, in the live-action verse, the Incredible Hulk in the 70s was legit. It was a jam, and it was people uh, people tuned in to watch that all the time. Its stories are really well done. It's got a lot of heart. It's got Lou Ferrigno. You have Lou Ferrigno. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up having the Incredible Hulk, mostly for that. And I think Lou Ferrigno might be in there. Did he voice Bruce Banner? Um, so Lou Ferrigno ended up... No, not he didn't voice Bruce Banner. But not Lou in Ferrigno that, has maybe. been known to voice uh, the Hulk in multiple iterations. And so, like, I wonder if he did. I don't think he did. But, yeah, he did not. But Stan Lee was the narrator for that. Stu- for that That's session. so good. Actually, Stan Lee is the narrator for a lot of these things. <laughs> and you know he loved it. So, but that was about it in the 80s. Those lasted until, like, 83. So then no more Marvel cartoons for a while. Uh, now we get into where we, where the big, uh, with the big boys lay. This Cue is that the- sick guitar riff. The gong, man. Every time. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what we're talking about, if none of that made sense to you, assuming Leo keeps that in and he doesn't cut that, and then this following that, the oh, X-Men goes so hard. Oh, it gives me chills every time. And the the freaking gong at the end. Gong! Mm-hmm. is Or bell, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a gong, though. Let's be honest here. Yeah. The, the X-Men intro wants to remind you that, yes, it's X-Men time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are here for this. So, if DC's animation's biggest thing uh, that changed and revolutionized their animation is Batman the Animated Series. For Marvel, it'll be X-Men the series. So, Marvel, so X-Men does one thing that Batman did not do. And has changed the landscape for animation that we have in the United States for this. What X-Men does is it's serialized. So the story from the beginning is a continuing story going forward from beginning to end. If you, they always had a last time on, on X-Men because they wanted to make sure that you keep up with the story for that's going on with it. And those are epic for that story. Like, um, what is it? 
the first episode, Beast goes to jail. Yeah. And straight up, uh, Morph, he did. He gets, this one's for you, Morph. <laughs> but yeah, no, and they have a loss. They have a thing. Um, so doing a little bit of history on this, when they proposed the X-Men cartoon, essentially the um, the producer they wanted to make an X-Men cartoon has been hammering and trying to get Marvel to let them do this over and over again. They had such great ideas. But they're like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. All right, let's do it. But we have a couple of stipulations. And so one of the things that, that the, I'm trying to remember who the producer was, but what she did was that she wanted to help design it as a serialized. So that way it was a continuing story because the way that she saw it, having a half an hour cartoon where everything wraps up at the end and then it goes and, the, and we go back to the status quo. This is a thing that happens all the time. If you want, uh, and it's not just in uh, a U.S. thing. Uh, Ranma one half that animated uh, anime series, man, that was annoying because it would always come back. Will they? Won't they? At some point, I checked out of this uh, this show. Now, to be fair, they don't do a full reset like some American cartoons do because at the end of the day, Ranma is still able to turn into a girl, and his dad still turns into a panda. Yeah, but like every cartoon show, and even if they're action adventure shows like Centurion pole position and a few other ones from the 80s they go back to the status quo thundercats were notorious for that oh that is very true and so um and to their detriment that's just sort of the the style at the time you bring it back to the status quo so that way anybody new coming in doesn't have to watch episode one to keep going forward and what x-men decided to do was say nah brah we're gonna keep going forward with that the other thing that they did um and Batman the Animated Series will do some of this, but not nearly to this extent. They took actual storylines from the comics and adjusted them to make them work for the series. Savage Lands, man. Oh, so good. Oh, Savage Lands. Um, Apocalypse. Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, that's Cable and Bishop, good. right? Jubilee. Mm-hmm. Not Jubilee. Uh, no, uh, Days of Future Shadow Past Cat. is... Uh, no, it's Bishop and Apocalypse. Oh, is it? Uh, Bishop and Apocalypse. And then later, it's Bishop, Apocalypse, and Cable because of stuff that happened then will affect Cable in the future. And then Dave Cable has to come back again for that. God, it's so good. And then, like, they don't even tell you that uh, the, the big thing about Cable is that he's related to Gene and Scott. But he hints to that all the time. Whenever he has to get the intel from his computer to about um, the X Men, he skips the parts with with Gene and and Scott Summers, and because he knows what's going on there. And so, like, the X Men have to deal with this. Um, Dark Phoenix saga was a good one. Oh God! And that was an epic for that one. Um, and they had uh, these are storylines that are storylines that are famous from the X Men comics, and here they are for this. Okay. That are on TV. I didn't get to read. This is what got me into comics, ultimately. Yeah, same, to be honest. Uh, it, the X-Men, the uh, animated series. I watched the X-Men. I'm like, you know, I'm a little curious. And they go back to, uh, ended up looking into the comics for it. Man, was I thrown off when I realized the roster was different. Yeah. So the characters I go back to, the characters I wasn't aware of mm-hmm. prior to X-Men, the animated series, was Gambit and Rogue. Did, were they created? They were created before the show, but not much before, right? Not much before. In fact, a lot of that characters weren't. So, when this cartoon came out, 
what the uh, Marvel told them that they had to pick to make sure that they had these key characters in their series because they're important to the storyline in large. They had to have Scott Summers. They had to have Professor X. They had to have Wolverine. They had to have Jean Grey. Uh, you can take it wherever you want for the rest. And ultimately, that was sort of the thing. Um, Morph, we call him Morph because that's his name in the in the X-Men series. But there's actually an X-Men character from the 70s called Changeling who is a member of the X-Men. Oh. And so that's an actual character that they moved up because they needed somebody that they wanted to... Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of weird to say this, but they needed the fridge somebody. Do you know, are you aware, have Changeling and Morph ever met? No. Because <laughs> they're the same person, right? <laughs> they're the same person. I'm just it, saying, I've never seen them in the same room together, all right? I mean, that's true. So they never, uh, that's true, they have never met. But no, it's the same character, they just changed his name um, from Changeling to Morph. Why, I don't know, there's actually not a, oh, wait, uh, sorry. I do know the reason why they changed the name, because in the event that uh, it was because of Teen Titans. Changeling is the original name for Beast Boy. Oh. Names can get kind of messy, so you change it around, especially because the idea is that you don't associate one with the other. That's sure. how that works out. Um, so, like, we have Spider-Man. Nobody else is going to be called Spider-Man. That's true, though DC does have their Spider-Man Spider with, the, with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah. <laughs> is it Spider-Man? Kind of. No, no, not really. See? Different. Kind of like Marvel's got Century. or Yeah. I think Century, that's their Superman allegory. Yeah, it's Century. Century, Centurion, both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes up a lot. Everyone's guilty of this. <laughs> Everybody's guilty of this. But yeah, so like, X-Men, the animated series, they had, and they and so the producers and the writers had decided that they can pick and choose whichever ones that they wanted to out of all the other ones. Um, some choices, I think, were actually, honestly, with all the characters they picked, I'm amazed with their choices. I think that was a solid, solid choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like you think about the original blue and white team and Wolverine's not really there. Yeah. But, and I'm not going to say that they put him on the map because he's been around. He's been a character mm -hmm. fairly long before the animated series games comes out. But like, I'll admit, I, I learned who Wolverine was through this. I became a Wolverine fan because of this. I thought his arc, you know, there's a scene in a bar uh, later, or kind of early in the series, but a little bit later after Morph's death, and he's kind of mulling things over, and these, like, redneck bar folk try to pick a fight with him, and he just, he just he's got a pithy one-liner, I'm pretty sure, mm -hmm. and he turns around and, like, walks away, um, gets back onto his motorcycle or his car or something and drives off, and I just remember that scene fairly vividly, even though I've not seen it since the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. Wolverine is put into play and I think he's made more popular by the nineties. series. Yeah. What is it? Wolverine's greatest superpower is being everywhere at once. Yeah. Well, he's kind of, he kind of becomes the Spider-Man for the X-Men in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, I, I know that like Cyclops, Jean Grey, Beast, Angel, kind of the original X team. Right. But you don't, mm -hmm. some of those people are even omitted from yeah. the beginning of this series and others, you know? Yeah, so, like, if you want to break it down, so here's the original X-Men team, and we're going to stick on this for a little bit just because yeah. it's very important. So the original X-Men team has Scott Summers. Uh, Scott Summers makes sense. He's the Boy Scout of the of them. And also Marvel said you have to make, keep Scott Summers in there, so he's not going away. I, I, um, have to, I have to bring up one thing from the comics way later, just mm -hmm. real quick. Scott Summers wasn't right. 
against the Avengers. I understand why he was doing what he was doing, but like, dude was yeah. wrong. I'm picking that fight. <laughs> We're picking that fight. That's a thing that's happening. Yep. So you have Scott Summers and Jean Grey. And so the thing with Jean Grey, which I always thought was interesting, they had Jean Grey on there because if they ever wanted to do, because Jean Grey's big epic is Dark Phoenix and the Phoenix Saga, they just left the door open. But at the beginning in the first season, Jean Grey doesn't do need to do much. She's just more of the team mom for that. She doesn't really do anything. I remember uh, as a kid being very frustrated because you have this like awesome psychic lady Mm-hmm. Uh, with these amazing powers and she like puts up a bubble and there's like three or four episodes I can recall there's probably more to be honest mm-hmm. but she like the team's in danger they're fighting an enemy she puts up a bubble the enemy breaks through the bubble and then she's like oh I'm too weak and then she like passes out for a little bit like they did her dirty in that series yeah. initially um so yeah initially but when she gets started getting to the other series it does uh to later in the in the series it does open up a lot um storm is amazing just in general oh yeah storm's great uh let's see her gambit and rogue was a choice and i'm glad they stuck with it because ultimately this is supposed to be a children's show gambit and rogue have a very much romeo and juliet love story thing and you see it progress, and that's kind of amazing, all things considered, for this type of show. Along with all that southern charm as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Rogue is the best. Yeah, Rogue is so good. <laughs> Which is funny, because Rogue has to deal with a crossover problem that they didn't didn't expect to bump into, but I'll get to that in a second. They went with Morph. Uh, again, we've explained why Morph is there, and he'll, he goes away. And they went. they wanted to have a child character to be in there just to be relatable. Uh, to the kids, so they picked Jubilee, which is weird. And the reason why it's weird is typically the young character for the X Men is always Kitty Pry, mm-hmm. and instead they went with Jubilee because Jubilee just recently popped into the comics, and they're like, "This is neat. Let's do Jubilee." Like pretty much out of the hat, they just she's here, so we'll just use her. And I honestly, this is where Jubilee gets her claim to fame. Even in the comics, she does a bit more when they open up Generation X and a couple of other storylines. But where her big show is on this. So a lot of other... And then you always have to have your smart guy, and they have Beast be that guy. Which he kind of was that in the comics, too. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. that in the comics, but I think... Now, honestly, the, the part that always... That as a kid, I don't understand... As a person who has studied storytelling and, myth- and mythology, like I did in, in anthropology, I get it. I get what they did with, with Beast, and it was genius. Beast is in jail for most of the first season. Yep, for being a mutant. For being a mutant. And that's it. And uh, he he could break out of the jail. That's not a problem for him. But he knows it's more important to stay in jail. Mm-hmm. I think they talk about that, too. They're like, yeah. you could bend these bars, you could escape. And he's like, I'm going to serve my day in court because that's what is necessary. Mm-hmm. He was in there for symbolic purposes. And he studied but, law while he was in there. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you know, also um, he doesn't want to prove the very discriminative human's rights with being a freakish mutant. Yeah, and with all of that, they still touch on a bunch of different to- topics for a children's show. Yeah. Racism. Um, speciesism and various other things on there. Um, which, you know, the idea that they would do some of these storylines is just amazing for that. 
I was surprised they did the Friends of Humanity. That's an allegory too. Oh. Some bad hate groups, and like, man, I can't believe they did some that. real world hate groups, hate groups nonetheless. Yeah. yeah. Um. The X Men has always been big at being an allegory for things, and the fact that they ran it with this cartoon and decided to do this, I mean, that is brilliant. And there's so much going on in that story. I could all do a whole podcast episode on just X Men alone. Is that something you'd like to see? Let us know. Yeah, let us know. We'll do one. <laughs> you don't even have to twist our arm. We will yeah. do it. Just say, just like, you know, you know what? One person. <laughs> <That's all laughs> like, one guy. If, the, if this gets at least one like, it's like, guys, guys, tell someone to go do it. Tell someone to go do it now. Yeah, I'll go click it myself. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'll do it. Um, but yeah, so X-Men's storylines are, and honestly we can, because they're so brilliantly broken down, but the thing with X-Men that's important and they'll take on to later series is being serialized for that. Now, what X-Men had a problem with, and this has to deal with the writers and animators going against Marvel's uh, wishes, is they weren't allowed to do a crossover, which gets messy for a lot of things. However, the animators and such love x-men love marvel so much that they try briefly to hide as many things that they can on in there there's a scene um where there's a big storm in new york that storm has to try to make um it's weird to say it that way storm has to make storm chill out for the storm to chill but like storm yeah (laughs) but so there's this magic there's this major weather problem and storm has to use her powers to cool it down well people are are having to panic and run away and you can catch it at a brief second there's spider-man's uh webbing trying to release people and then he's out it's not a crossover because only his hands there close enough gotta walk away (laughs) but uh the other one that became a problem is uh rogue so rogue's origins which she did not uh for her powers her rogue's powers is to drain people's uh, co- and copy people's abilities and memories. Also, genius with realizing that her, if she wasn't at the X-Men mansion, she'd probably have a mental breakdown every couple of minutes. How could you not? Right? Yeah, apparently they're like a uh, her power set's like a hard drive and it's backed up a bunch of memory in there. But only the memories, not the powers, which is like, there's a whole lot of guilt problems you'll have. Let's deal with that. And so the reason why that's important is when Rogue was... Uh, younger she drained the powers of a character named binary binary is the name of miss marvel but when she was uh, spent time in the in the x-men that mansion and so that's why they called her binary instead of miss marvel so that way they were like hey i'm a no i know it's a crossover but not i see i thought they always referred to her as miss danvers in the original series yeah they okay. did also this will be a mess because at some point in the mid 90s because of in the 90s, Marvel gets to have, like, a bunch of different cartoon shows. In the 90s, they also had an Iron Man show, where Carol Danvers is in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, she's in a couple of different places. But, yeah. But Carol Danvers actually has, like, four different call signs. Binary's one. Um, Miss Marvel is the, the major one. Um and two other ones, too. I, mean, I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, so like they have to try to avoid crossovers. Now, that's kind of messy. Personally, if I, there was something that I always enjoyed with the X-Men is how they treated their villains in there. More like Shakespearean tragedies. Oh, Mr. Sinister. Mr. Sinister is, a, is great. Um, 
because Mr. Sinister wants to be, have more mutants. He wants to keep pushing this button. The one that I always, I always loved is the dynamic between Wolverine and Professor Xavier when it comes to their villains. Because Professor, so at a point in the series, and this keeps coming up, Professor Xavier tries to, wants to give therapy to, to Wolverine's arch nemesis, Sabretooth. Oh, yeah. But when uh, uh, Professor Xavier's uh, arch nemesis is Magneto. And to those who apparently, if you're not in the know, Magneto's whole thing is, let's try to fight all humanity. And Professor Xavier goes, nope, there's another way. We don't need to fight everybody. We can just, there's a diplomatic and pacifist way that we can do this. We're civilized men. And Wolverine has this line in there, which I always loved, and it stuck with me, and it goes, uh, all right, Charles, how come when your enemies have to show up, why you have to fight them, but mine, we have to help? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I mean, even even Charles's uh, brother, you know, mm-hmm. Kane Marco, Juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Who does they, one thing, yeah. fights his way across America. Yep. <laughs> and they end up fighting him. Yeah, and they end up fighting him. Professor Xavier, I think, temporarily gives him amnesia and leaves. You know, now that I think about it, he might not be a nice guy with this. One. Yeah, Charles Xavier is not always the best guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah, not the best of dudes on that. Charles Xavier does what he thinks is right. The <laughs> only problem with that is only he thinks it's the right thing to do. <laughs> do we see... Oh, no, you already explained we don't see a crossover with the Spider-Man animated series at the same time. Just yes and no. We'll get to that in Spider-Man when okay. that comes up. So, in fact, uh, let's hop over to that right now. Before and his amazing it. friends. Yeah, we will be talking about X-Men all night if you like. If us. we don't stop this, yeah. But X-Men's the big game changer. So because of that, Marvel gets more interested in this and starts releasing other cartoon shows for it. Fantastic Four comes in again, but they're as part of a duo series. You would have episodes of Fantastic Four and episodes of Iron Man. Side note, Iron Man's uh, original theme song, not great. Second no. theme song, lit. Much better. <laughs> Much better. Uh, and amazing. And same thing, they started bringing up. Iron Man was an interesting one because they took uh, char- like low-tier uh, Marvel characters and started adding them into there. One of the variations of Spider-Women, and uh, they had uh, War Machine and a couple of other characters that popped up. And then there's the Fantastic Four, which is Fantastic Four doing uh, Fantastic Four things. But I did like that they tried to... Well, Marvel was trying to do these things for it. Then we get to Spider-Man the Animated Series. The only other series that in the 90s that happened to have as, as many episodes as X-Men. And man, was Spider-Man 90s legit. Also, theme song is point. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it, it has that 90s theme song. I, I, I hesitate to call it a problem. Mm. I hesitate to call it a problem. But it has that 90s theme song problem where they only say two words the entire yep. time to techno amazing rock vocals like rock music and it's <laughs> it's perfect oh it's like, amazing it's it's the laziest thing i've ever seen but it's incredible i'm like you musically know? speaking this is lazy however who oh man does that on fire you see the same thing in digimon and power rangers and all a lot of the tv shows around the ni- 90s and early thousands mm-hmm. just just like Spider-Man, Spider-Man, radioactive Spider-Man. Like, that's that's it. That's the whole thing. You've got me sold on this. Yeah. <laughs> What's the show about? Oh, Spider-Man. Radioactive Spider-Man. Okay, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. To be, uh, now, 
to so Spider-Man follows the same plan as X-Men does. They take storylines directly from the um from the source material and readjust it to it. They took two of the most violent characters and managed to get them in a, in a children's show and to be and at least one of them is one of my favorites, which um, is they had the Punisher oh, and Carnage. Yeah, that's true. Oh my god. Now the Punisher I find is hilarious when he's doing this because uh and I've explained that in the previous episode, uh, uh, podcast episode. Oh, look, it's me up there. Oh, by the way, the voice actor who plays Spider-Man and Peter Parker, mm, delicious. Um, he's the same voice actor who will later do uh, be Prince Charming on the third animated Cinderella mo- movie. I was really hoping you were going to say Shrek. I'm not going to lie. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was starting to feel that. like, no, no. But like, but also fair. Third Cinderella movie is still good. Yeah. Now here's the thing. Prince Charming's father comes by. You cannot see this girl. The yeah, will forbid you from going down the stairs. And he jumps out the window and <laughs> flies off. Well, he's Spider-Man. Did... Well, he's Spider-Man's voice yeah. actor. You get the same powers. That's how yeah. that works, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. We'd have to ask like Steve Bloom or somebody. Yeah. Steve Bloom is not to be trifled with. Clearly, <laughs> Steve Bloom has been also Wolverine. Wolverine. Also. It'll be, they'll make a, uh, when we get to that series called Wolverine and the X-Men, there's a thing with Steve Bloom that they ha- that he had to change and it was kind of an interesting concept for it because he never had a problem with that before. Um, so what happens with this is that he, uh, but Spider-Man takes these stories and they try to readjust for that to make a, their, the, well, the part that I was, inter- that was interesting to it this series have an episode and then they have massive story arcs and those arcs have chapters in the arcs. That's the titles of those episodes to bring them back to where, to where they, they're strongest. Right. So they have, um, the symbiote saga, which is Spider-Man getting his uh, black suit and getting the powers and such uh, from the black suit and the, all the problems that come with that black suit, Spider-Man, you know, venom. And then later carnage. Oh, sorry. Uh, That's the movie. That's the movie. Um, (laughs) But when we get to Spider-Man, Spider-Man series gets to do something that the X-Men didn't and gets to have crossovers and major crossovers. They actually have a crossover episode with the entire X-Men cast. Whoa. And we'll talk about this more when we get to a next crossover episode that we get to, because one of the epic things about this is that they have a point. um, I think his character is a Dr. Landon. I think he is who used to work with Beast. Now, the thing is, Beast never originally had blue hair. Beast had this thing where he tried to fix his mutation, and it backfired. And it increased his mutation, which made him stronger or agile, but also made him covered in blue hair, made him look more Beast-like than he was before. And the thing is, they hint to that in the X-Men series, but in Spider-Man, he has to deal with that because there's a mutation problem that's going around. Landon or Wormstrom, I forget the the professor's name. But the thing is that Spider-Man has to deal with an X-Men problem. Interesting. And Hmm. that character does not go away. He stays for the rest of the series after he shows up. And he's a hired goon of of the Kingpin. And so, like, they have these big major plots, and he has crossovers with other characters all the time. In fact, he, this is the first time that we will be able to see, even before it comes out in the comics, the Spider-Verse. Really? So the season, fin- the series finale of this is that 
Spider-Man gets recruited to the Secret Wars, Force, which is an epic crossover comic of its own right. And with that epic crossover, it's considered the first uh, event comic is Secret Wars that Marvel does. And so what happens is in the original comic, he they go to or in this series, what happens is that they go to Battle World to which would have a bunch of people there that are going to that they need to test Spider-Man's will and resolve and see if he could be a very good leader. So with that, they put a bunch of Spider-Man's villains, uh, the Lizard, Doc Ock. And a couple of other villains, which I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but it's hard. Not all of them are Spider-Mans. They also have uh, Magneto, and they have um, uh, the Red Skull in the series to be uh, that's a series of villains on it. But Spider-Man's allowed to pick and choose his own team out of a certain number of people. So he takes Storm from the X-Men, mostly for a... He wants a powerhouse on this team. Come on, you can't go wrong with Storm. True. And I think he also takes uh, he takes Storm. He gets Iron Man. Gets Captain America. Gets a who's who of this. Isn't it mostly? It's like mostly just Avengers, though. Uh, mo- uh, most of them are Avengers, yeah. But a couple of X Men in there too. And later he he figures out how to cheat the rules to recruit Black Cat on this side. And so after he does this and manages to win the battle world for that, they send uh the the Beyonder, who's a very very powerful char- uh, character uses his powers to send everybody home and tells him what his actual thing for this. And what he's supposed to do is to lead a group of Spider-Men to go against to stop the uh, a weird version of uh, Venom and Carnage, which might undo the universe. So he has to lead all these Spider-Men for it. And that's everybody who looks like or acts like Peter Parker, except one guy actually doesn't have any powers for Spider-Man, which was weird. When they get to the end, and here's the big spoiler for it, as after he wins the, the fight, Spider-Man is exhausted, but he wants to know what uh, uh, what what this is all about, what kind of reward that he would get for having to put his life on the line this often. And so the the version of him that has no powers is actually an actor, and he takes him to the, the regular world to meet Stan Lee, because Stan Lee creates Spider-Man, and Stan Lee gets to have a soliloquy with Spider-Man. And with that... He goes back and he sends him uh, and he's like, okay. And at this point he goes, you know what? I I've done well as Spider-Man. I just want to do one other thing. And at this point in time, other spoiler, Mary Jane Watson, who he's married to is disappeared, uh, gone. And so he spends the remaining part of the last episode looking for uh, Mary Jane after feel the good feelings of I've done a good job in life. Anything else? That's how it ends. Okay. Yeah, pretty epic for all things for Spider-Man. They do not slow down with them. So Spider-Man and X-Men basically dominate the 90s, and then everybody who tries... Uh, the Hulk might uh, came up with two seasons. He tried his best. But yeah, so they that's sort of where we, uh, we get into these big popularity things. And then we end up moving on forward to the 2000s at this point, or late 90s, 2000s. Not all of them are winners. Uh, for example, they have Spider-Man Unlimited, which is weird. <laughs> they choose to have the main villain to be the High Evolutionary. Never been a Spider-Man villain. I don't know why. Spider-Man isn't even in the uh, orig- uh, in his original outfit. They had to change because for production reasons, they had to not have him in his original outfit. Is that the one with the cape? That's the one with the cape. That's so weird. And the nanotech, and like he's left Mary Jane alone in the apartment and bailed on her. 
So here's a question. Yeah. What came first, Spider-Man Unlimited or Batman Beyond? Uh, 1999, Batman Beyond. Okay. Do you think, because that would make sense to me, do you think Spider-Man Unlimited is a response in some ways to Batman Beyond? I would say yes, and here's why. Batman Beyond was a response to Spider-Man. I mean, true, true. <laughs> but which Spider-Man was a response to Batman, right? Batman Beyond was made because they wanted to have a, a Spider-Man, but not Spider-Man for DC. <laughs> and so they uh, Batman Beyond ended up being the cool edgier thing that they came up with. Even Rob was explaining, he's like, yeah, no, Batman Beyond's there because of the, uh, because of how successful Spider-Man, the Spider-Man cartoon came in. Well, I feel like the Spider-Man cartoon was made because of the X-Men cartoon, but also because of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, 94, mm-hmm. so uh, 92 is when the X-Men series comes out, and that would have been made about the same time, but slightly after Batman. Yeah, it all goes back to Batman, I guess, at the end. It was it was just an ongoing back-and-forth mm-hmm. war between DC and Marvel's Golden Children. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but, the great, great orphans. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man Unlimited doesn't... Uh, it animation wise, it looked interesting, but man, did it not have that kinetic copacetic-ness like the other ones did. It just didn't flow. It just didn't feel right, you know. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and so that was like a real problem they had, and they tried to do that with uh with uh, the Avengers. Uh, they had the show called Avengers United We Stand, and it flopped about the same time too. Uh, that one, I just know that they didn't have very much of a storyline. It's like Avengers fight some supervillain. And why? I don't know. He's there, there. We're here. That's about it. No real, you know, us talking to each other or anything like that. So that being said, though, that doesn't mean Marvel's out of options. After that, they make one big hit, which they went back to the, the well for X-Men, which I really enjoyed, which was X-Men Evolution. Yes. Oh, uh, I actually really enjoyed that they picked a bunch of characters and they basically made them teenagers and have to deal with high school problems and X-Men problems. Definitely a bit of a different, of a departure, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't have your adult heroes that you were used to in the nineties, but I I think it works for what it is. It really does. Especially with them trying to have the whole, well, essentially just having the whole struggles of trying to have their actual teenage high school lives, but also we need to hide the fight. The fact that we're also mutants Mm -hmm. because Personally, in that one, I think Nightcrawler had some of the most adorable just moments of trying to hide who he is, but also he's blue. Mm-hmm. I will say this, that version of Nightmare of Nightcrawler, when he's like, oh, no, I, I, I can't go out in the public because of how I would look. Freaking Nightcrawler looks like the ad- most adorable emo kid you can meet. Right. I, I liked him more in his uh in his blue form than his human form. Right. Hands down. Also, I and I saw a meme for this and I believe in this. Whoever decided to make Rogue a Southern Bell goth. Mm, yes. Sheer genius. You can't mess with Rogue. Just in general. Yeah, just, 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 Rogue is amazing. Rogue is just the, the ongoing just the ongoing reminder of do you like Southern Girls? Yes. What about Goth Girls? Yes. <laughs> Hell. I got something for you. Now, that being said, though, 
Rogue stories are amazing, and technically, so she's less powerful than she was in ninety in the ninety seven cartoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All she could do was drain people's powers, but man, did she use it to the best of her abilities! And I think out of all the regular X Men, she's uh, at least of all the outside of Wolverine, she's ends up being like one of their top fighters because she's so used to having to get in there with her powers. Yeah, it is crazy to see that. Also, like I think in the first season, Rogue works for the Brotherhood of Evil. By the way, they don't sugarcoat it. They're called the Brotherhood of Evil. Uh-huh. No, I think they call uh, they they change the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, that's right. Brotherhood no, I, of Mutants. Yeah, I did I also mm-hmm. yeah, that was also really a, a good thing that that did put a lot of emphasis on the actual Brotherhood, but mm-hmm. also like storylines and relationship between like uh the Brotherhood and the X-Men, especially just trying to conflict as teenagers. Cuz I cuz I remember that um yeah, cuz in X-Men Evolution they brought Kitty back mm-hmm. and the thing is she was having an entire like on again off again thing with Avalanche from the Brotherhood. Oh yeah. Oh, I was in for this love triangle. It was I don't know why I want to see this drama in my superhero art too. Are they going to kiss? Are they not? Are they going to be together? Are they not? I'm in. I'm not. I mean, but but also the, the oh I, I almost remember there were, uh, being a point where even Avalanche was having like a self conflicting like moments of just like do I want to do I want to be like a part of the Brotherhood anymore? And it was just a whole episode where he actually end up going and becoming a part of the X Men. Yeah, and he was so good but so bad at it at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, he, he did his best. Also, um, whenever you get these cartoons, they will always take liberties to make certain changes, and you just kind of figure out if those changes work or not. Spike, for example, being related to Storm. Storm was an orphan in the, in the original storyline. Now she's not? All right, we'll go with it. They skipped Jean Grey's entire Phoenix saga and anything related to the Phoenix, which I honestly liked, because Jean Grey could really do uh, do more in this. And Jean Grey could use a break from being combined with the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Also, the school periodically grew. Like, more members started coming in. And it was, all right, you guys are the X-Men elite team. Why? Because I, you guys can deal with this. Everybody else, if they study hard and do well, you might be one of the X-Men. Right. They were having, like, different tiers and level of, like, what the X-Men were on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now also, oh, man. I'm sorry, I, I, I still just love how everything just revolved around also a high school teenage drama. <laughs> I didn't know that's what I needed in my X-Men was a high school teenage drama, but I was here for it. And I've seen that series like at least three times back to back before. It holds up pretty well. I agree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they, they do that. Now, for a change of pace, do you know what channel had a Marvel series for a little bit? Besides Fox, you mean? So Fox had one. CW, WB had one. And for a change of pace, MTV had one. In 2003, MTV had the Spider-Man series that was there made based entirely off of the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. That's where this jump point is. Oh, all the characters and everything on there are based are or treated from as if this is what happened after the first Spider-Man movie. It's animation is weird. It's like cell shading, but not. And it is grungy to say the best for that was this on the heels of something like like aeon flux or some of those other uh mtv sort of animated properties that we saw yeah in 03 it would have been after a bunch of the experimental stuff um uh, and keep in mind at this point the most prominent other animation show that they have is beavis and butthead Mm, true so 
the fact that they just for funsies decided, you know what? Let's do it. Let's let's make, let's uh, do a an MTV uh, Spider Man. Honestly, the show was pretty well done, but I think their leap to doing an entire computer graphic version of Spider Man was not ready for prime time at that point. This is in that uncanny valley type things, and billions, millions, and millions of dollars are spent to make this uh, movie that was eh. Ooh, it's early two thousands was not a good time for a CG. No, it was not. It tried. It tried. It did its best. So, but that was the weird case for that one. Now, once again, they just start bouncing around for it. They also, I believe at this point, Cartoon Network even hopped on the bandwagon to have their own version of the Fantastic Four, which is weird because this one's entirely drawn from anime-inspired animation. Like, literally, a Cartoon Network sent all of the animation, all of the uh, stuff to just be done by a, an, an anime studio. See my previous remarks about the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Earlier in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see earlier in the episode for Dane's remarks on the Fantastic Four. It looked weird, but, and it was in like hyper stylized anime and it was all over the place. Is this around the same time that we get the uh, Iron Man? Uh, I don't know if there's an anime for Iron Man that's, I think, Japanese only. Maybe there was an English dub of it. I don't remember. Or is that yes, that's going to be, com- no, that one comes out for in the 2010s. Okay. Are you, t- are you talking about Marvel Discourse? No, no, although I've been meaning to see it. that That's a different story. That's an, This course is actually an anime, so... um, that, But that'll, that'll be closer to the 2010s, early the 2008s, I think. No, at this point in time, what the, uh, they just have an anime-inspired thing. So, also for fun things, Marvel has periodically just did... Uh, there's a whole section of Marvel anime comics that you can just or anime inspired or Mar- no Marvel manga is what it was called. And they just had uh, a couple of manga studios wanted to make Marvel. They're like, yeah, yeah, go, go do it. Do it. Do it. This will be fun. There's even a technically a, a world where they have just all the Marvel characters as anime based characters. It is wild. The Hulk it turns into is actually Godzilla. Uh, Spider-Man doesn't get his powers from a radioactive spider. He gets his powers from a spider shrine. Hulk, um magical girl when there's a magical girl there's a mecha which that's iron man and there's a couple of other ones on that too uh so in the two in the early to mid to, uh towards the mid to late 2000s this is when uh marvel gets a little bit more experimental with their animation stuff and so if you're wondering why we're hitting the, all these marvel stuff right now let me backtrack to explain to you something that happened in the night in the early 90s in comics they have a thing called the speculator boom Back in the, uh, this was the late 80s or so, people started finding out that if you per- uh, and it was big news that people would have gotten like issue one of uh, Action Comics was worth what, two, three hundred thousand K, uh, 300 K back in 80, 1989. So it was worth a ton. There's also Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider Man. Did uh, it also sold for several hundreds of thousand dollars. And they had all these things that were going on with comics being sold constantly at these high prices because now at the in the 80s in the late 90s this is a collection option so with that because of this they had what's called the speculator boom so what comic collectors would do is they would buy two comics because they bought two comics they bought one to take home to read and the other one to keep in a box to be mint conditioned okay the problem with that is 
The comic companies are seeing that they are doubling or tripling their profits. And so what they did instead was invest more money back into it. There was a point in time where Marvel was going to have its own like brick and mortar shop. And they also were thinking about their own printing press. It was wild and they were getting experimental. And then the bubble burst pretty hard. And so they were, uh, Marvel was going into bankruptcy really bad. DC was having its own problems. And the rest of the comic book industry was flopping around in less. At this point in time, some of their best artists were also frustrated with the system and started leaving. And this is where we get Dark Horse and a couple of other independent stuff that started popping up. Now, because of this, the comic book industry explodes. And so desperate to try to find things, what Marvel did to try to keep it to try to avoid being bank, going into bankruptcy and you know, failing is trying different experimental things to license their stuff out. Which is why in the 90s, we have a bunch of Marvel games, video games, Marvel toys, toys, and more importantly, all these animation stuff. Some of them are huge hits like X-Men and Spider-Man. Some of them are big misses like the like the Fantastic Four, which only lasts one season or that MTV animated suit. So that's why we end up having like all these things that are popping up now. It's more uh, Marvel getting into these things. And what we're starting to get closer to about 2008. Um, which is a uh, red letter day for Marvel, because I believe that is when, yep, 2008 is when they took a big gamble and made Iron Man for the MCU, which kickstarts the MCU. Now, because of that, they have all this extra funds, and now they're working to sort of capitalize on these things for it. And this is before they get merged with Disney. Now, why do I bring all this up? This is important for an amazing series, and I've talked about this before, called The Spectacular Spider-Man. Also, another amazing series, Wolverine and the X-Men. Oh, yeah. So, let me go back to Spectacular Spider-Man. Spectacular Spider-Man took the story beats and storylines of the mythos of Spider-Man and updated them to a modern for a modern audience and worked within it to make these storylines. They get very intriguing into their storylines. So, a question that comes up in that is Kingpin is not in that series. Well, Kingpin at this point, because of licensing issues, is technically a Daredevil villain. So whoever starts making Daredevil, they get to have Kingpin as their main villain. So villains are divided amongst uh, whoever's their major opponent is going to be. That's how you categorize them to um, if you're licensing them out. So they had to go with Tombstone as a choice on this. And so interesting enough... Uh, the Spectacular Spider-Man and series did this weird thing, which is the series starts one year after Sp Peter Parker has become Spider-Man. So he's been doing the Spider-Man thing for a while now. And then supervillains start coming out of the woodworks, most of them by accident, like Electro or uh, and Venom. They do a really neat saga with him because Eddie Brock is a regular character. And much like they did with Two-Face two in the DC universe, He's there for a while before Eddie Brock gets the suit of Venom. So you can see where he gets pissed at Peter Parker and, you know, Spider-Man. But importantly, they get to a point where Tombstone comes in. Tombstone becomes the equivalent for Kingpin on this. And Spider-Man actually does an investigation through a set of series to make it, to actually find out that Tombstone is the guy who is the guy in charge for when all these supervillains start coming up. So when he finally faces off with Tombstone, he's wondering why Tombstone keeps making this. Uh, and he brings up a point for this. And he explains to Spider-Man if he knows how much crime that he actually stops. 
And he's like, I don't know, I beat up like one or two guys. Maybe uh, I, I maybe stop a mugging here or there. He goes, yeah, you do stop a mugging. In fact, on every so often, you stop one of these big supervillains that have been coming up. But the thing is, you prevent more crime than you actually stop. A lot of criminals don't do anything because you might come out of left field and take him down. Because that's what Spider-Man does. He patrols every so often. And if he sees uh, something crime going down, he will go over there and investigate. So him being there is a crime prevention status. But most of the crime for all the petty crimes that are happening in the in New York that has been making Tombstone money is when the other supervillains are coming out. Because that's a much bigger problem for Spider-Man to deal with. And they know it. So for Tombstone, he literally tells him, it is more of an investment for me to give a psychopath a superpower than it is to deal with you. And he has to deal with that kind of weight that he is both the solution and now technically the cause of where most of these supervillains are coming in. So like Rhino, Scorpion, Doc Op, they aren't there because uh, because of an accident. They're there because, Sp uh, or not Doc Op, but Rhino and, and Scorpion and um, the Spider Slayers, they're there because Spider-Man exists, not the inverse. And that's a thing that they have to deal with. Also, and this is important, they give time for Spider-Man to have to deal with relationships. Like, he wants to go out with Gwen Stacy, he doesn't. He ends up going out with Liz Allen, and he ends up having to break up with Liz Allen because he's too busy being Spider-Man that keeps him away, even though he really likes her. And he bumps into Mary Jane. Mary Jane isn't even a romantic interest, but is a character that keeps showing up, just like Mary Jane was originally back in the 60s. So, yeah, a whole lot of stuff happens with that one. And to Nicktoon's credit, what they do is with Wolverine and the X-Men. Now, sadly, this only goes for one season, but it's an epic season. The idea of making Wolverine the leader of the X-Men is genius. Also problematic, because it's Wolverine. This is not a good position for him. The man with anger problems? Not a good mentor? I don't know. Oh, what was it? It starts with the X-Men being dissolved, and he has to rebuild the X-Men. Mm -hmm. This comes after... Uh... Schism, 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 schism. I think in is the, the event, comics, yeah. right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's um, Professor Xavier gets knocked unconscious, uh, is uh, out cold, and is basically in a coma. And honestly, I loved how Magneto finds him, and Magneto basically takes care of him. It's like, and when Wolverine comes at his door, ready to fight, he's like, "Nah, here's, here's Professor. You can take him home now. I'm not here to fight you." And it was so weird. He's like, I'm the big bad guy. I know. I'm just not doing it. Not today. Not about this. And I think the idea behind it was that he ha Wolverine is the best candidate to stop the future, which has Days of Future Past as a problem. Where Sentinels and the uh, uh, Uprise and take over everything. But like, Wolverine had to mellow out. So what's interesting is, this is where we get to the Steve Blue problem issue. So, Steve Bloom, like many voice actors back who got into anime and, and animation back in the 90s or so, animation and anime is not the, the notoriety that we have now. But in the 90s, wasn't really a, a respected craft. It was, you did this because you couldn't find work everywhere else, in some cases, is how they treated it. Even though, like, there's some fantastic voice actors out there. So, what happens is that for voice actors like Steve Bloom, they would go under a pseudonym. Steve Bloom at the time, I think, had, what, seven different pseudonyms? Sounds about right. 
-hmm. he had a pseudonym for every different accent of his voice so that way in the credits that they had for spike spiegel would be a different credit if he was playing someone with a higher pitch which is a different credit from someone with a different pitch and different version of his voice even though it's all the same guy which is just wild on that right but one of the things that happened is that he got the contract to be wolverine in some of these things, and you'll see this in Disney most more often than not, what they'll do is that they'll hire one voice actor to play one character, but it's ideed that that character that that voice actor plays that character in various different media, uh, mediums, mediums, media, media. That's the word I believe. Various different media. So the same voice actor that's here is, uh, in this case, Steve Bloom. It would be the same voice actor playing Wolverine, who is the same voice actor playing Wolverine in one of the uh, in a Marvel video game. Kind of like Man. Kevin Conroy and Batman for a while. Yeah, kind of like Kevin Conroy and Batman for it. And I think that's actually why they got the idea, because Kevin Conroy is like Kevin Conroy. Yeah. It becomes synonymous with his character. So Steve Bloom, until that point, had all these pseudonyms. Now he had to stop, and they actually had him do pr uh, promotional material on Wolverine and the X-Men at the time with his face to the camera, <laughs> but as the voice actor for Wolverine. But you can't be just Wolverine. You have to have the whole contract, the, the whole bit for it. No more pseudonyms. But granted, at this point, what? It's the mid-2000s voice acting in animation start, it has started to become a much more respected craft. Mm -hmm. Granted, it's for characters and things like this that we have in animation, which is what builds it to this. That being said, uh, so, but Wolverine the X-Men is amazing. But it is, uh, I think, so it only ran one season because of issues with its target audience it was meant to be a kid's show it is not a children's show they were like oh kind of like the how we did it with the x-men and in in uh, back in the 90s nope nope uh like i think the youngest character that they have on there is kitty pride who at the time is 24 25 so you're having basically what's supposed to be a children's cartoon but the entire cast is mid is adults oh uh, to be fair that worked once with the x-men so it would work again didn't exactly work out as well as they did but it is a good good time on that one their stories are very very edgy and amazing for it also wolverine gets to mellow out you get to see a mellow wolverine for a bit <laughs> yeah but after this is where we started getting into things like armored adventures and they start getting into a more and x-men the anime iron man the anime wolverine the anime oh yeah blade has an anime series who saw that one coming <laughs> Blade's getting a video game this year. I mean, he apparently is pretty popular. Mm -hmm. I believe he has anime. Damn. I could believe it. But yeah, in the 2010s, they're starting to, here's the anime side. Let's go do these things. Mm -hmm. And then they also had Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which was a really, really good uh, Avengers car uh, cartoon. Also, they stopped doing that ban on uh, crossovers, which seemed ridiculous. Well, now we'll have crossovers for days if we want to. There is an episode in there where the entire Avengers cast is gone and they have it, then they have the new Avengers. So it's Spider-Man, Luke Cage with Iron Fist and a couple of other guys. They're not, the Avengers aren't even in this episode, but here we are. And then um, around this time in the 2000s, 2010s or so is when uh, D uh, Disney picks up Marvel. Now, this is the reason why I was, uh, that, that kind of upsets me for this one. When Marvel pick, uh, Disney picks up Marvel, Disney the the rights for for the animated series for Spectacular Spider-Man is owned by Sony, and they let it la and Sony uh, basically had to let that one lapse as part of their deal. Disney decided to make Ultimate Spider-Man. So you remember how I was talking to you guys about how 
Spider-Man has like these deep lore characters and they he's going to high school and they have all these background characters and all these things that are happening, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So take all that, you put them in a rock in a bottle and then you throw that bottle out because you want to have cool new superheroes and that's about it. Oh. Feels bad, bro. Yeah. So one of the key things with Spider-Man is duality, having to deal with his life as Peter Parker and his life as Spider-Man. We, we've talked about that in the Altered uh, Ego episode, right? It's a big thing. So he doesn't have to deal with any of that in this show at all. And Disney took decided to pump so many of these episodes out. There's something like over 100 uh, episodes on it, mostly despite Sony for that. And the thing is, this is done, you know, if if... If you want to have four, uh, the saddest part about this is this is the Spider-Man series with the most episodes is also probably the one with the least amount of uh, good quality for it. Lord knows there's more than enough episodes uh, or clip series of Spider-Man making a shocked monkey sound. What? Yeah. So imagine this sound every single episode. So just this monkey sound of and just a monkey in the background screaming and you have one of those once an episode every episode minimum it got old fast that's a choice that's a choice and they also i think had cutaway gags kind of like what family guy has too oh hmm. my god again a choice but also never really touching on the duality on it. some of it was pretty fun i'm not gonna lie the fact that Coulson from the mcu is there is just tickles my fancy for a little bit but that only goes so far. Sure. But yeah, so in this case, because now Disney has these rights for it, they kind of experimented with some other stuff. They had Ultimate Spider-Man. Avengers Assemble, which is loosely based on the Avengers movie, but had some weird choices on that one too. And Hulk and the Agents of Smash, which had Smart Hulk leading a superhero team, which, granted, can be done. It just feels weird on this one because they had all the Hulks in there. The Blue Hulk, the Red Hulk, uh, Blue Hulk, which is, I think, just a playoff of Abomination. It's a mess for the Hulk family at that point. Never even heard of that. And that's insane. Yeah. And Red Hulk's there. Red She-Hulk's there. And so all of these have been introduced day one at the beginning of the series. And apparently Hulk is a superhero team, government funded. Like they have these things as agents. It It's odd. Odd choice to say least. Guardians of the Galaxy had their own animated series, and at some point, all of these will cross over with each other at kinda on that. Two weird results on this. It's it's a choice. These things are stuff that happens. I did like in the Guardians of the Galaxy series, they actually kept the idea of um, playing classic rock throughout these episodes and such, because Star-Lord, that's his thing. So, yeah. That is an interesting take for that. Now, this is about where the time that Toei gets the animation gets the ability to have Marvel Disc Wars, which is something I've been wanting to watch. I don't know if I've heard of that. Marvel Disc Wars is like Digimon, but instead of digital monsters, you have Marvel characters. Yeah. So like as pets? It, it was literally kids had the ability to summon the Avengers. Oh, it's like Tamers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, except for Deadpool. Deadpool is Deadpooling. No, De- Deadpool is literally a side character that uh that comes in. He's not even a part of the show nor captured. He just kind of shows up and wonder, well, why do I get to be a part of the show? It's like, people love me. I'm a really popular character these days. <laughs> There's even, I think there was even a part of it where, and it's, 
I love it because you also get to hear just Deadpool rat- like rambled off in Japanese. <laughs> because it's an anime. Yeah. And then he's going by, I was like, hey, Tony, Tony Stark. Why, why didn't you find a kid that would be able to put me in a disc, huh? You think I'm too thick to go inside? You know, I'm really hurt by that. Yeah, that is a thing. You know, I also feel like, uh, wasn't 2010s? Are we in 2010s right now? At this point, we're in the middle of the 2010s. All right, cool, uh, cool. Yep. Got a lot shocked there for a sec. But, no, I think it was also, I think the 2010s is also the time where, uh, Deadpool really started to rise in fame. Roughly, yeah. Also, anybody who's like, I, uh, who's like, man, Deadpool's always been like this? No, no. Deadpool, when he started, was literally just a mercenary. It, um, from the get-go, from the, uh, leftover from the 90s, um, big muscles, big guns, thousands of pockets era. Totally not Slade Wilson. Totally not Slade Wilson. Uh-uh. Basically, that's it. Uh, what we have as Deadpool now was done through bunches of writers that happened after the creator. After, I think it's, I I can't even think of his name. But after the creator started letting go with uh, uh, Deadpool comics. I hear he fights the Marvel Universe. At some point. It's a thing he does. <laughs> no, Which, the idea behind Deadpool is always, oh, Deadpool's doing something weird. Yeah, let it go. Although, Deadpool having, in the comics, having a buddy cop moments with Spider-Man does tickle my fancy on that one. I think he's got some with uh, Cable as well. Oh, yeah. He used to be teamed up with Cable, but quip for quip, that's a Spider-Man thing. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I kind of prefer the, like, mm-hmm. uh, the concept of the, the straight guy versus the, the funny man. Yeah. Uh, that is Cable and Deadpool. Deadpool. I think that's very funny. Uh, Cable Deadpool comics are amazing. But yeah, Marvel Disc Wars. Uh, what happens if we had Digimon? That was also Marvel. <laughs> so, like, that's a thing. Now, also at this point in time, they have a couple of different um, Marvel animated. Oh, no. Uh, earlier than that, Marvel animated movies like DC did. Uh, they had Ultimates, Ultimates 2, and Thor, and Loki. Thor, and... Uh, and, like, they had what was called the Versus series, which is someone fighting against the Hulk Wolverine versus the Hulk uh, Thor versus the Hulk um, and they're not always versing each other they like they team up for a little bit and then they go away and then they just back to what they are doing it's weird it's a it's fun very, time very similar to like the way that um, the Sentai handles versus mm-hmm. they'll typically do a versus movie between like Kamen Rider and Super Sentai and mm-hmm. They start out, I think we mentioned this in the crossover episode, they start out being like, yeah, we're totally fighting, and then it's like, no, we have to team up to defeat this guy, or whatever. Yeah, and then um, the, the interesting one that they had, as far as these Marvel cartoons go, is uh, Big Hero 6. Oh. You kind of have to remind people, Big Hero 6 is actually a, is a Marvel car- uh, uh, series. Oh, yeah. Movie deserves a sequel. It does. It does. I mean, now, technically speaking, uh, the uh, the series got a sequel, so it's got a spinoff TV series that takes place after the movie, and then that gets a spinoff to just Bayamax on Disney Plus. You're here for the Bayamax, and that they'll do that... anything but give it the thing we want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's it's a start, I guess. So yeah, Marvel. These uh, Marvel shows are most of them are there. I I have no problems if you enjoy them. That's fine. I get it. And there's episodes of these that I like, but. Ultimately, some not all of them are. are Ultimate Spider-Man is the one that I have the most. 
ire for, and uh, mostly because that one canceled out a uh, better show, just to say, take that. And that was kind of, uh, and I think that that's just rough, uh, a rough time for it. But at this point, we're in the early 2000s and or 2020s. Now, with this one, the big thing that happened in the 2020s or slightly before that is the Spider-Verse, which if you haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, the first uh, of this of the series, you're missing out. And then if you haven't seen the sequel to that, you are definitely missing out. I haven't seen the sequel yet. All right. I will say this. Uh. This isn't much of a, you know, this might be a spoiler. I Spider-Man's in it. I, whoa, whoa, hold on. Whoa, Spider-Man in, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? There's at least one. What? A, wow. Minimum. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. I get, if you say so, I'll trust you. <laughs> I'll trust you on that one. Uh, but the first one was amazing, though. So good. So good. Uh, and I love the fact that they, that they, pushed the boundaries of animation to a thing that um, you haven't seen in a long time, which is to mix animation styles with each other. And the reason why you don't do that in animation normally is because uh, it is hard to do. It's a skill throw. Do you know what was one of the weirdest, most complicated uh, animated series to make? If you don't think about it, uh, uh, unless you realize what's happening. Have you ever heard of a series called Drawn Together? Yes. Okay. It's raunchy. It's comedy. Adult is... animation, not not like adult, as in like no horny, it, it, but like not intended for children. Not intended for it is adult animation because it's adult animation. However, it probably has the most complicated animation sequences that you have because one character has to be uh, Waldorf has to be drawn similar to SpongeBob and has to be able to go kooky and out of the place for it. Meanwhile, they have, I think his name is Captain Hero, who's drawn exactly the same way that they would draw the uh, Batman the uh, from Batman the Animated Series and Superman from Superman the Animated Series. And then you also have Ling Ling, who is, uh, who is drawn in anime styles, just like Pikachu. But they kept those styles constantly, which is one of the reasons why it ended up getting canceled, because it was too expensive to keep doing that. So, that being said, in the first Spider- uh, in the Spider-Verse movie, you have... Miles Morales being drawn in a very particular way. Um, they even animate him in a different way. There's a line that he says, I prefer running than the swinging. And he will be on the ground running more often than any other character in that, uh, any other Spider-Man that's in that, uh, that series. And they purpose, and you, they purposely make it. So that way he draws. And also to the extent, I think it's, uh, he starts the, the, when he's in Sp- Spider-Man, they actually film him in a, different frame rate until he starts getting towards the end of the movie where he's and the frame rate supposed to match up to him getting used to his powers animation uh, galore on how they turn although my favorite is noir spider-man huh. just because there's a wind that blows anywhere even when he's inside, inside even when he's inside yeah he's got to be mysterious at all times he gets an extra shadow <laughs> oh man but yeah, so like animation for uh, there's also for Marvel uh, stuff as far as the TV shows go. There's also like What If, which is a fun ride for now. Oh my god! Um, and apparently they've also uh, there was a couple of other ones that they've tried to do. Oh, but What If is one of my favorites. Um, Hit Monkey was an interesting one, but they haven't actually started working on it. I know they got renewed, but when's that second season coming out? I don't know. Um, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is an interesting one, an interesting thing. So yeah, Marvel, as far as animation, is going strong. 
and they will always have an animation. And as we know, as you know, coming up is going to be, which I'm going to hop into that as soon as I get, as soon as it comes out, is X Men '97. Cannot wait. Hell yeah! Which is a continuation of the other X Men uh, series. Uh, apparently, if the hype train is real, they are doing the thing where they're decided to already greenlit season two. And season one hasn't even came out yet. So yeah, that I'm looking forward to. So with this, we've been kind of gushing on Marvel. So is Marvel very revolutionary in their stuff? Yeah. But Marvel always also tries to keep itself with its characters. Where Marvel shines a lot is knowing to, uh, is when they, re- it seems like their biggest thing to shine is when they revisit their old stories and then bring it to modernize to be animated. That's where a lot of their strength is. Um, in fact, there's a Spider-Man series that came out. It was short-lived. I think it only lasted for a few series, which is called, uh, what was it? It was during that. Marvel's Spider-Man. Not to be convinced, uh, confused with Ultimate Spider-Man, but this is the Spider-Man series that comes out. Marvel's Spider-Man um, took storylines from the mar- modern, and characters from the modern uh, Marvel Spider-Man right now. So they had, uh, like, some of the, they even did, the uh oh, what is it they they managed to actually pull off the superior spider-man saga which spider-man's brain was occupied with by doc ock for a while so that was a thing that happened uh also they tried to eh, shoehorn in if they best they can um giving all making all the other spy, uh famous spider people that were around at the time in the modern comics in there um spider-man you know miles morales as spider-man uh spider gwen as spider ghost they even had uh aranya and they also had uh spider woman and they just you know try to make sure that they were all in there uh it is a little disorienting though to have Sp- peter parker as spider-man and miles morales being spider-man and Instead of like in the normal comics where there's almost a decade apart from these two, there's like he is one year older. Feels weird. <laughs> you're my mentor. He is literally just a few months older than you, buddy. And technically, you're doing better in school than he is because he keeps leaving. <laughs> so I think that about wraps it up. I am looking forward to uh, to uh, X Men '97 and. Also, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, if they get that one actually greenlit, because it's supposed to be about Spider-Man before, uh, from the MCU's point of view, just before Civil War. Oh, my God. And so I'm curious. I'm also kind of liking the fact that they can use the MCU as a jumping off point for a series, you know? Right. But also, it gives you a different sort of take on how you want to, how these characters and such can, can work. But also, I'm glad that they're keeping it that these animated series are not directly connected to the that they're their own thing mm-hmm. on this. So that's about it. Um, before I don't think there's anything more I want to talk about on this end for this because we could gush all day about X Men '97 on its own. Again, one like all I need. That's all the excuse we need to get get this going. So. If you were to go back, let's say you took all these series that exist uh, for any of these television, uh, the uh, these animated series, and you could stick with one that you could relive with, 
which one would you be uh, would you want to stick with that you could go back to and watch all uh, over and over again it's got to be 97 right or not 97 but uh, the, the animated the the, OG. The, animated, yeah, the the original x-men yeah it's solid just, solid pick for that it has to be right <laughs> like don't get me wrong spider-man animated in the 90s amazing some of the uh you know x-men uh not unlimited what is it evolution uh x-men evolution you know, really super good. A lot of Spider-Man, really good. Some of the Avengers ones, awesome. Some of the anime stuff, good. But like, it's just animated series. Like, it's just so good. It's mm-hmm. just great. <laughs> oh, there's a reason why we gushed about this so much. Yeah. There, there's a reason that it's going to be coming back. <laughs> it's coming back because it was so good. Yeah. Although I would like to make like I'm okay. I'll still admit that X Men ninety seven is gonna, is the superior X Men. Personally, X Men Evolution still has a special place in my heart. Oh, that's fair. That's yeah. a that's a real good show. As it should. Uh huh. Um, I'm going to lean towards a Spider Man, but I'm hard pressed for either going with the '90s Spider Man because that that means so much to me. But I think I'm going to go with Spectacular Spider Man because. Uh-huh. The only downside I have with Spectacular Spider-Man is that it ends. That that's that's the biggest flaw in that series. They stopped, and they did not stop well. They didn't like close up the series. They just stopped. But yeah, you have your choice of Marvel series on it. Um, but if I'm going to pick one that can hold up to the test of time, there's a reason why X-Men is coming back, y'all. Yeah. Uh, I think that's about it. Unless everybody has anything else. Well. What uh, what we learned through this podcast is that statistically, if it's X Men or Spider Man, there's a good chance to be pretty good. About the same odds as a uh, a Fantastic Four, just probably gonna flop again. Mm, not a good track record yeah. for them. That that's no, that's on it, them really. It's no like no matter no matter how hard they try, they just can't get a good one out. Yeah. No one is asking for Fantastic Four. <laughs> it's okay. Fuck. It's it's okay. Marvel, Marvel. I know you're listening. Come here. Come here for a second. It's okay. No one likes the Fantastic Four. Just like, but it has its audience. Just because it has audience doesn't mean we need to try that hard with it. And if mm-hmm. it has an audience, where are they? Who's? Why are they not watching like, your TV show? Mar- Marvel, please. You're trying so hard. At at some point, just just let it go. Yeah. Let it go. The the comics. The comics were great. The comics were amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they it have should... some fantastic storylines in there. Yes, you know? fantastic comics. But listen, just because it's fantastic for comics doesn't mean it's fantastic for animation. Just give Doctor Doom and Galactus and the Silver Surfer to the Avengers, and we're good. You just we're we're all we're all set. Um, but yeah. So I guess this is us wrapping up this uh, this episode. Our next episode should be coming out on march 1st actually uh that being said this is gaming theater podcast logging out bye everybody bye-bye ciao (laughs) gaming theater podcast is hosted created produced and edited by leo garcia the geek scorpio our music is a drinking game Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. 
Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some money to help with these episodes, you can do so at patreon.com slash gamingtheaterpresents. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening.